This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Really excited to have as a special guest tonight, it's David Syverson from Our Lads. David, I know we've been trying to make this happen for a couple of years now. I'm excited to finally have you here at Saturday to Sunday. How are you doing this evening? Hey, thanks, Paul. Thanks. I'm doing great. Uh, this is always the the grind time. You know, the the whole scouting process is such a such an interesting one, and to to be just weeks away from the NFL draft, it just kind of all comes together. But it's uh, it's as intense a, a final month as it gets, and uh, definitely pumped that we can just find some common time here to talk. Absolutely. So people who may be a little bit unfamiliar with your work, why don't you just kind of give a, a quick synopsis on what you do at Our Lads, how long you've been there, anything you want to share that in terms of what you do at Our Lads or if there's any other places people can find your work. We'll, we'll kind of circle back to it a little bit at the end, but right at, at the forefront here, maybe let people know uh, where your work is and what you're working on. Yeah, I mean, I work for Our, Our Lads Scouting Services, LLC. Um, they're the actually the, the oldest uh, draft guide in the business. Um, you know, I think everywhere you turn... Every corner you turn, everyone's got a, a new draft guy coming out, and it's kind of cool to be with the original guys. Um, I think anyone in this business, they were either are a current subscriber or a past subscriber of our lads. And, you know, long story short, it, I started working for them in 2012 as a, as a depth chart manager. Um, that's about as glorious as it sounds. <laughs> um, and I basically just kind of worked for free for a long time. And... Uh, basically just was in charge of the ACC, just putting in every single college football player to come into every single program, height, weight, hometown, and update the players every single year. And that was just a lot of grunt work that I did for a lot of years. And then I started sending in some reports um, based on the guys that I was in charge of watching. And the role just grew year by year to the point where um, basically they're, they're a lead guy now. And uh, they're a draft guy that comes out mid-April every year. Um, we... Um, I write about, I would say, about 70% of the guide. Um, we have a couple other guys that do a couple different specific positions or regions. And, um, you know, we, there's a lot of jobs that have come from that, from from working for our lads, including USA Today, formerly Athlon Sports. Um, we were in charge of picking the Shrine Game rosters for a couple of years. That was a, a huge, awesome experience. And, uh, you know, we got some things in the works for, for, for the future that I can't really talk about yet. But it's uh, it's been an awesome ride gets better every year and uh the passion still uh burns pretty high absolutely guys you really got to make sure you're following uh david on twitter and checking out all his stuff over there uh, i know i've been reading david's stuff for quite some time so uh excellent job that he does with these prospects and that's where we're going to transition this to over the last couple of weeks i've had on guests talking the quarterbacks and, and the wide receivers and tonight i really wanted to pick your brain on the, this tight end class and then maybe some defensive players as well so why don't we start before we get into the 2022 class in particular in terms of the tight ends a little bit about you've been doing this obviously for quite some time and i know here at saturday sunday we've been doing this for about five six years now and i feel like tight end is one of those positions that is a challenge at times to really evaluate and scout from the college side in trying to project them transitioning to the next game because sometimes what they're asked to do at the college game is very different than what the nfl is going to ask of them uh a little bit maybe about why you feel like at times 
studying and evaluating tight ends, the challenges of it in terms of trying to project that transition to the next level. And then at the same time, kind of follow up to that is, is that the reason why you think we see so many tight ends struggle early on? Sometimes good tight ends even take years to develop, sometimes second teams and they develop we've seen over the years. Do you think they're kind of go hand in hand, why it's a hard evaluation? And then at the same time, uh, why it's, you know, sometimes a struggle for these guys to make that transition. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a tough position to project. I'm, I've always had a hard time. I usually get the, the top five or six right in terms of projecting them. But the the guys that come out of nowhere, I mean, the, in this league, look at some of the top tight ends. I mean, nobody was talking about them when, when they were coming out of college. And it kind of just right place, right time. But it, what, what makes it really difficult is offensive offenses in college, they're so much simpler than, than the NFL. And that shows up with quarterbacks, especially often. Uh, but I don't think enough gets made out of how hard it is to transition from college to tight end, just in terms of mental complexity. Um, we, we're always, con- you know, you always hear guys talking about height, weight, 40 times, three cone, shuttle, all this stuff, right? But you rarely hear about how, how mental it is, how much of a mental grind it is to learn both protect pass protection, run blocking, and also just the receiver side of it, right? Um, and in college, you usually have to make one read off the line and you make you cut left or right, in or out, deep or short, right? In the NFL, you're making several different reads almost every single snap, and that's just the route running component of an offense. Um, you also have to learn the blocking component, right? Identifying the mic. Um, am I going left or right? What, what do I do if the defense shows this look and they end up doing this look at post-snap? What's the guy next to me doing? It, it's a lot to take in mentally, and I don't think you really have to do that in college nearly as much or at all. And that's why I think you see a lot of tight ends coming out. It just takes them longer to get to the point where they're just reacting to the defense, right? That's when you talk about when you talk about developing a football player out of college into the NFL, the biggest thing that you'll hear coaches say is they no longer have to think about what they're doing. They're just reacting. And it's, you know, when you're an lineman, you're really only thinking about blocking. That's what, that's what you need to learn. Run block, pass block. Yes. Learn your sets, learn your technique. That's, that's relevant to every position, but in the NFL with the tight end, you have to learn what the offensive linemen are learning. And sometimes it takes them a year, if not more, but then you also have to learn what the wide receivers are learning and the running backs. And it takes those guys a year. So it's really, I try to simplify this by saying the tight ends got to learn two jobs and a lot of these other positions or one or two roles, I should say, and receivers and backs, offensive linemen. It's really just that one role that they have to take in. And it just mentally, it just takes a long time to really take all of that in and get to the point where you're reacting rather than thinking in the NFL, you don't have time to think. It's all about reaction and it, it needs to be natural. And that only comes with time. And that's why if I ever see a rookie tight end that really does well early in, a, in his rookie year, it's, it's incredibly rare and just, it's just that much more respect to him. Yeah. I mean, I think you made some really great points there. And I mean, we've seen, you know, great tight end classes. Like, you know, I always go back to that, you know, David Njoku, Evan Ingram and Ovisha Howard year three in the first round. And like, what they were asked to do at the NFL is like, I felt like the giants tried to create Evan Ingram to be a little bit more of a blocker and, and OJ Howard didn't really make the clean transition. And now, you know, they've and now they were on new teams. And then it's ironic because it, 
for a while, it seemed like David Njoku was the first guy from that that trio who wasn't going to be with his team that drafted him. And yeah. now they're they're looking to give him like a second chance, and, and they yep. might see, you know, especially in the building, they might see some of that starting to click. Some of that yep. that you're talking about, it just yep. takes time. I mean, David Njoku came out was really young, you know, I think even young younger than OJ and Evan Ingram. I think he might have been yep. twenty or something when he was drafted, you yep. know. So they could see it behind the scenes, maybe that he it's finally starting to click. And I think. All those points you made up really great about their responsibilities, the blocking, the receiving, and just what they're asked at the next level. Uh, yeah. And I think that's what always makes the evaluation side of it very tricky because sometimes in college you're just a basically a glorified wide receiver. And the right. NFL's got bigger plans. You know, very yeah. few are you going to completely not be asked to block at all. Like, you know, a, a few right. here and there, but most of them are going to have to show functionality at least in terms of their blocking and be able to at least not be a complete zero there. And, and I think that adds to some of the layers of trying to decipher these guys and how they transition to the next level. And then we always have, you know, obviously I know he's the outlier, but George Kittle, right. Wasn't used much in the college game. We knew he was a great blocker. He went to the combine, blew it up. And then there was all yep. this untapped upside and athleticism in terms of his pass catching ability. So it, it we see it just in, in a couple of those guys we were just talking about, just the spectrum there in terms of how hard the eval is. So let's kind of transition to the 2022 class. I've been on yeah. record as saying, I think it's a really good class. And I personally think round three to round five is a really good sweet spot that you can get a really good tight end there that could become a starter or be a really high quality number two. And a lot of teams are using two tight ends. I don't mm-hmm. see the top level guy, right? I don't see personally, I don't even see, obviously no one's Kyle Pitts this year. I like Pat Fryer moved last year more than this tier of guys. You know, I know for myself, I, I have a couple guys in my top tier here and I didn't even classify them as a tier one because I, I usually classify tight ends in tier one as guys who I would warrant taking as a round one pick. So I have a bunch in that day two range and even I think more should be like round three. We'll see if anybody sneaks into round two. But just maybe before we get into individuals, what do you think is the class collectively as a whole? Do you see it similarly to what I just kind of laid out? Do you do you like it a little bit more? Do you like it a little bit less? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you that there's really not like that top tier guy. Like last year, Kyle Pitts, I projected him in on my grading scale it was a 90. And anyone that's 90 plus, I projected eventually be an all pro. And I put Kyle Pitts right there. Um and so I, I do think that last year's class had that top guy. This one doesn't. I will say this, and I agree with you that that second, third tier, there's a lot of them in this class. On average, I usually will project three or four starters. And when I say a starter, I mean a guy that's playing majority of the snaps. All right. He's on he's on the field to block and he's on the field to catch the ball. Um, and and I see six of them in this class. So this this class and usually when I when I label someone a potential starter, I say you're second or third round. Um, I expect you, if I draft you round one, round two, round three, or if I put that kind of grade on you, I expect you at some point in your first year or two that you're starting. And I have six of them in this class. And that's a really high number. Um, and I really, and what I like about most of these guys, one of them I'm not so sure about yet, they can run, they can catch, and they can block. They're not guys, they're not receivers that maybe you can teach them how to block, like what the Giants failed to do with Evan Engram. They're not big blockers that you hope can catch a couple balls down the seam. Um, so these six guys that I have, that's what that's what stands out to me the most, is that there there are six starting NFL starting tight ends in this group, and I think they're all going to be starters within, I would say, by the end of their second year in the league. I think these guys are 
are legitimate, credible starting tight ends. And I, just like you said with Pat Farmer last year, I have two guys right there, if not slightly above him. And then I have another four guys that were just, just under him. And I think that they were, if they were all in that last year's class, they'd all be kind of right there with him grade wise. So, so why don't we start right there? You said two guys were either right slightly right around where you had Frymouth rated or slightly higher. It yep. sounds like the consensus out there uh, is Trey McBride is tight end one. Do you have yep. that same take? And if so, who's the other guy that's right yep. there with him? Yeah, I have Trey McBride. Uh, just love. I think the kid's a stud. I think he's a competitor. Um, he has an unbelievably close profile to Kittle coming out of Iowa. When you're, when you're looking at his height, his weight, his speed, um, even some of his times with, with some of his workout numbers. I mean, Kittle was a um, top, I think, top 3% with three cone shuttle. And again, I don't get too much into that. But when I try to draw comparisons, when I try to find a player that I see that I really do like, I try to find someone in the league that he projects to uh, or compares to physically. And McBride, there's a lot of McBride and Kittle have the same style of play. There's both gritty. They both are high effort, powerful blockers. I don't know if they're going to really be able to anchor against D tackles, D ends, but they're nasty out there. And, and they really, they show a lot of want to, a lot of desires blockers. My second guy is probably the best blocker of this group. And I don't want to say the best blocking tight end in the class, although you probably could make the case that he is. I'm talking about the best blocker that is actually a real tight end. Because some of these guys that come out of college, they're big, you know, they're undersized linemen that they'll, they'll make a squad just for, you know, to be a third or fourth tight end just to block right i i think rucker jeremy ruckert at ohio state new york kid uh i i think i have him as number two and i have him he's similar grade i think i have the same exact grade of him that i did fire him with last year and the one thing about him is he just did not get a ton of looks at ohio state i mean they're just so loaded with talent at wide receiver you know if i'm calling the offense there too i'm, I'm, I'm not throwing a Ruckert, right he's he's got maybe a, a third or fourth option every play um but when he did get his looks he took advantage of it. You know, he was a big red zone threat a couple years ago. And he just he, he just has that look of a pro about him when he blocks, when he runs routes, how sudden he is to get his head around, how well he gets his hands up in front of him when the ball's coming his way, doesn't drop the ball. And if you watch him block, he's as sticky as a blocker as you're going to find in this group. Um, he, he gets his hands on inside and he keeps them there and he keeps the legs driving. And you rarely see the guy that he's in charge of make a tackle in the running game. And I think that's going to go a long way. Someone I really see a, a lot in him is Dalton Schultz from Dallas. Kind of a guy you didn't really hear about his first year or two in the league. Now he's getting franchised by the Cowboys. And you could probably make a case he's one of the top six or seven tight ends in the game. And I think Rucker could have a similar profile and trajectory as him. Not someone that you're going to see come in, make a huge impact right away. But he's going to be able to hang in all facets of the game right away, and I think he's just going to continue to be one of those guys that just evolves year after year. Yeah, I love I love your takes there on both of those guys. Rucker for me is actually my tight end one, so I'm I'm glad to hear right. that you have him Good. as as tight end two. Uh, a follow up for on Rucker, and then a follow up back on Trey McBride as well. How hard do yep. you think it is? The interesting thing about Rucker is is he came to Ohio State as a athletic thought of as pass catching tight end. And like you said, when, when you have Chris Olave and Terry McLaurin and, you know, and Garrett Wilson and this year, the Smith and the Jigba kid, unbelievable. Yep. Like yep. the odds of it getting to him and a great scheme, right? Let's not be honest. Like Ohio yep. state scheming guys open left and right, you know, with great play yep. calls that he just didn't get opportunities. Like it's interesting to know, like 
and we know NFL teams are looking at not statistics and, and college statistics can be very misleading, but I, I wonder how hard it is, I, even for yourself, how hard is the process when the guy doesn't have a lot of production and you are just solely, you know, trying to project that if he was given that opportunity, he could make, you know, make the most of it because he has turned transformed himself, like you said, into a really good blocker. And that was something that a couple of years ago, you know, there were question marks when he came out of high school about whether or not he'd become this good blocker. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's an interesting thing with him. And then on the Trey McBride thing, any, any concerns from your side about like, anytime I watched Trey McBride, I felt like he was unbelievable at the catch point. He, he knew how mm-hmm. to use his body and his physicality and his strength to create that space just enough to catch the ball. Any concerns on your part that when things are quicker, faster, guys are more athletic, better level of competition, that those spaces that he was able to create in at the college game weren't really based too much on like athleticism and speed and more that strength and, and toughness and just savviness. Any any thoughts that maybe that might not be there when guys are just better athletically and the scheme's better and the level of competition is better? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll touch on Ruckert first. Yeah. I mean, he, he had 71 targets for his three years. Okay. Just to kind of, I don't know if anyone or I don't know if everyone's really going to understand how low of a number that is. Trey McBride had 122 targets in 2021 alone. All right. Rucker saw 71 over his career, his three over the past three years. So this is the part of the draft where you can't really be scientific. And, and I think too many people are trying to make scouting scientific. There's an R to it and there's a lot of projecting. And, you know, if, if not to take any clout away from good scouts, quality scouting, you're guessing. It's an educated guess. And with Rucker, you are projecting slash guessing that he can get the job done as a receiver when he's called upon. Now you're not drafting him to be Travis Kelsey or Dan Waller. He's never going to be a feature guy in an offense. And I think that's okay from the position, as long as he can hold his own as a blocker. And like I said, I think Ruckert's the best out of these top six guys. I think he's the best blocker of the bunch. So I think you just feel safe with him because he does everything right. You don't see a lot of mistakes on tape with Ruckert. And I think that's something that you, when you are in a situation like this, where you just don't see a lot of looks that go his way, you need to kind of say, all right, where are the mistakes on tape with him? Is he running poor routes? Is he dropping balls? Is he missing blocks? And the answer is to no to all of those. And I think that's what makes you feel safe about him. And this is where, from our perspective, from our seats, you know, we don't really get as much access to it. I get some, but not, not nearly enough to really evaluate him as a person, right? That's such an enormous component of scouting that people doing it from their home, all more power to them the tape is always the top resource when you're scouting, but these interviews and these visits and the access that you have to the support staff and the coaches, that's where you could really answer some of these great areas that you're discussing. And that's why, like, even from my perspective, even though I have some access, again, like I said, not nearly enough, you know, there's only so much credibility in our opinions when it comes down to that, you know, and, and that's where you have to admit that it's an educated guess. And, so that's that's kind of my answer on Ruckert. I really didn't see him make a lot of mistakes at Ohio State. Is he a great athlete? No. You know, that that's probably the one drawback on him. Um, now on to McBride. I do I can see the point where he played against a lower level of competition, right? Or he wasn't really but he, I will say this, he got schemed against. I mean, he saw double teams, he saw bracket coverage left and right probably more than any of these guys. Um that's why he didn't really have a lot of uh, red zone success. If you watch red zone offense from Colorado state. I mean, two guys were on him all the time. So he scored one touchdown. Everyone, like, What's up with that? Watch the tape. He had two guys on him all the time. Like you wouldn't throw him the ball either. 
Um, am I concerned that he's going to have an issue getting open in, in, in the NFL? I'm always concerned about that with, with rookie tight ends. It, it's hard to separate from, from safeties and linebackers, but he has the athletic ability to get open. I think where he does struggle right now, and I think it's one of my biggest negatives on him on his report, his routes are sloppy. They're very rounded. And I, I think he got away with it. He just had a lot of space to work with in college. Um, but like you said, he is as good as it gets at the catch point. He's got huge hands. Um, they're strong as anything. He's one of those guys that it's like I, I use the term swallow. Like his hands swallow the ball. There's very little, very minimal wiggle to the ball after they come in contact with his hands. And that's something I always look for. You don't see him double catching the ball a lot. His drop rate was, if I remember correctly, it was about 3% in college. It's a very good number. Um, so I, I am concerned that he's going to struggle to get open against man coverage, especially when he's matched up against the safety. But I think that once he fixes the skill set of being a route runner, it's like we talked about, that's going to take a long time, right? Because he can't come into the league and just work on that. If anything, the, the coaches will probably want him to work on his blocking first, right? That's usually the way they work. Hey, you got to get good in the trenches, and then we'll throw you out into the, the passing route tree. So that I do think that's going to take a little bit of time with him. Uh, but how good he is at the catch point, how minimal he drops the ball, and I'll tell you what, the dude's a dog after the catch. I mean, he will toss guys aside. Defensive backs in this league right now are notorious for being poor poor tacklers. There are some guys that can really take advantage of it, and McBride's going to be one of those guys. Um, he's going to remind you of Jeremy Shockey. You know, if you can remember back to the day where once he got the ball, that's when the party started. You know, you were just looking forward to what he could do after the catch, and I think that's something that doesn't get talked enough about when it comes to McBride. The guy's going to make things happen after the catch. I know it sounds like you would be comfortable taking him in round two. Do you think an NFL team pulls the trigger on round two, or do you think he could sneak into like the very early, early part of round three? I think he's going round two. And I, I think, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a coin flip if he's tight end one or not. And, and I think it's going to be McBride, or there's probably a couple other. Like if I if you had to take a poll of, of 32 decision makers in the NFL, I, I would say half of them are going to have McBride at the top. And just because of that fact alone, I think he's going to go round two. I would not be surprised if he went towards the end of round one to one of these teams that needs another tight end. Um, you know, he, he doesn't hit all the triangle numbers. You know, he's a little on the short side. Um, the length is kind of average to below average. So I think sometimes these prototypes that really usually go in round one, um, he's, he falls a little short there. So I do think the round two is going to be the sweet spot for him. If the Giants want him, it might seem rich to some, but he's going to have to go with that second round pick. I don't think he's going to be there round three. Yeah, and you mentioned – let's transition because you mentioned four other guys you had starting caliber grades on. And I'm yep. interested to hear who they are because I have I see five names. So I'm wondering, okay. who's the, I'm wondering who's the one that's probably left out from the five that I'm thinking of. So why don't, okay. why don't you share who, who those four are, and then after we're talk, done talking about them, I'm going to bring up the one that kind of got left out and, and take your take on him as well. Okay, cool. So I have Dolchik from UCLA, uh, Greg Dolchik. Um, I remember watching him LSU tape last year, early in the year, and I, I watched him just that one time and said, that dude's going to be – he's going to be a day two pick. And I think that's exactly where he's going to end up. I mean, he, aver <laughs> he averaged 18.2 yards per catch, and that's just – it's incredibly uncommon for, for a tight end in, um, in today's age to, to be up there. And I think what makes him stand out, his athletic ability, the aesthetics of his movement – and his catching motion, he also has huge hands. Um, he's going to be a problem, all right? Blocking-wise, I think he's going to get tossed around early in his career. 
Um, but I think he'll be better than someone like an Evan Engram, right? Look, I think he can hold his own. He's got a little bit more size to him, a little bit more mass. He does need to get a little bit bigger. Um, but aesthetically, I think he's probably the best mover in this group when it just comes to long stride speed up the seam, the ability to stop on a dime and turn around, that kind of stuff, right? Um, the next one, I have Jelani Woods. Um, absolute dominant pro day workout. I keep, uh, sorry, combine workout. I keep seeing Mercedes Lewis when I watch him. Just enormous, 6'7", every bit of 6'7", 253. Um, I think he ran in the four sixes. And when you watch him, like some, this is one of those guys you see him work out. I'm like, all right, maybe I didn't give him a close enough look on tape. He, he's, he can get open. And if you get the ball anywhere near him, his wingspan and his reach is just so high. Like it really does. It adds a lot of space for a quarterback to throw to. Again, like McBride, he's very physical at the catch point. And when you watch him run in space, you, you get excited. Kind of like there's always a guy that I've liked from the Colts, Mo Ali Cox. All right. I've always felt like he's been a little bit of an underachiever, but that profile of just being that long stride speed, huge hands, um, tough guy for defensive backs to reach around. Uh, the next one, I have Kate Otten from Washington. Um, classic wide tight end build, 6'5, 247. Um, I actually think this guy is the most physical ball carrier out of all these guys. Um, again, someone that really didn't get a lot of looks. I had high hopes for him coming into 2021, but he fought an ankle injury, I believe. He fought a COVID issue. Just the and the team was terrible. It's the worst Washington team I've seen ever since I started scouting. And I think he's going to come into the league and surprise some people the way Foster Moreau has done um, in Vegas. Just a physical kid, a lot of desire behind his play style. And I think that he's a guy that if you get the ball to him in space, um, he, he's going to make some things happen. Um, last one that I have, this is number six right here, is Charlie Kolar from Iowa State. Um, tested a little bit better athletically than I thought he would. I don't think he played that fast on tape, but he's huge. He, he is excellent in traffic. Um, part of the reason why he's always in traffic is he, I think he's going to have a hard time getting open. You know, so you, you could make the case that, um, he won't project to be a starter because at his size, he doesn't play as big as he is. But again, when you watch him, this is another thing that projecting college to the NFL, he didn't line up with his hand in the dirt that often. And it was, it, Iowa State had a weird offensive scheme. They had usually had two or three tight ends on the field and he was split out. And I think that was, I don't want to call it a mistake, right? I'm not in the room with those coaches and it's not my offense, but in terms of projecting him to the NFL, I think his status would be a lot higher right now. And I know that's not their main focus. Their main focus is to win games. But Kolar just was not really put in a position to succeed at Iowa State as an NFL draft prospect. Um, but the tools are there. He had one of the best quietly, had one of the best senior bowls just in terms of, of doing it all, blocking, receiving, running routes. And I think he's a better athlete than what we've seen so far. We just haven't really seen him play a tr traditional tight end role as often as I would want. So he's a little bit more of a projection slash guess. Uh, but I think he's got all the tools. Yeah. So the four guys there, those were four of the five. So I'm going to pick your brain on, on, the, on the fifth yeah. one in a second. But really good points there. A couple of things. And, and as I'm listening to you talk to these guys, you kind of hit it in, in the beginning when you were kind of giving the overview of the class. Besides maybe Dulcich, who gives yep. effort blocking, it yep. really is a unique class that I don't feel like we've had a bunch of guys in the, let's just say the top 100 mix, 
yeah. who were as balanced as yeah. what this class is offering. The more we, you know, I hear you talk about them, and the more I've watched film on them, and, and other people I, I respect, you know, I hear their takes on it. Is there's a lot of guys, and I think that's going to be a selling point to these NFL teams that these guys aren't just specialized players who you're going to have right. a bit piece for you guys can, yep. you know, we know the transition is going to be tough, but these are guys that can play on all downs for most, most of these yep. guys and, and yep. pretty quickly. So it's really interesting. I, I agree with everything you said on Dulcich. I really like Dulcich and what he could bring in terms of the passing game. Uh, Jelani Woods was the one who I was wondering if maybe he was just on the, the cusp there. So it was great yep. to hear you, you bring up him. He's really wa- riding the, the pre-draft process as good as you yeah. probably can. Right? He Absolutely. started, correct me if I'm wrong, he started out of Vegas, right, at the Shrine Bowl, yep. Jelani Woods, and then yep. obviously a big combine to- as, as well. Yep. And then uh, – Charlie Kolar, again, he's another guy I think really good at the catch point. Uh, but you made some really good points there about just how Iowa State used him, and that right. could maybe be hindering, uh, you know, what some teams think of him. But I think he's going to be a really good, solid, functional starting tight end at the next level. Yep. The one guy you didn't bring up that I thought might have been in that mix there, so maybe he's next on your list. And if so, uh, why isn't he with that those other guys? Is Isaiah likely, at, at, you know, for another smaller school prospect? Is there some concerns about his game? Is he right there next on, on that list? Uh, what for him has you a little bit less excited than maybe the guys you just talked about? Yeah, so I mean, I'm reading my uh, my little summary on him right now, and I started off by saying, if you catch the right film, you're like you will, no pun intended, likely think that likely is a top 100 guy, and he belongs in the tier with the first six on the list. That's literally the first thing I said. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of echoing what you just said, which is kind of cool. Um, I see the athleticism. I see the soft hands. I think his production might be raising his level a little too much in some eyes because, and the reason I think that's a bad thing is he caught a lot of screen passes, a lot of quick short passes where he wasn't even running a route. And a lot of his production came from there. Now he did a good job with the ball in his hands. He does have the quick feet. Um, he's got good vision. He's got some toughness to him, but I don't think he's going to ever factor as a blocker. You know, like I think he's going to be a lower level blocker than what you saw in Evan Engram. And I keep bringing him up just because I'm assuming, you know, I know you're a Giants guy and I know maybe a lot of your listeners are there. He's, I think he's going to be a lesser level than that. And I think if you're going to be a lesser level blocker than someone like Evan Engram, you need to shine as, as a receiver. There needs to be a standout trait to your game. And I don't see it. I, I just don't see the trait in his game. Um, he's got good speed, not great speed. He's got good quickness, not great quickness. I didn't like how physical he was in traffic. Um, you know, I just think he got tossed around a little bit or he had a hard time extending to the ball, right? There, there's a skill that Charlie, Charlie Kolar has. Like, he really, truly knows how to box a guy out. And that that's a big skill in the NFL. When, when you're catching a lot of passes in traffic, you got to be able to do that. And likely just doesn't – he's got really short arms. He's got a short wingspan. Um, didn't love his shuttle time. Like, there's this – there's some things about his game that I think it's they're being inflated because of where he played and the scheme that he played in. Um, you know, if likely ended if likely was on the same roster as as Jeremy Ruckert at Ohio State, he might not see the field. And I, I just think that he's just kind of like a, a lesser version. Now I have him in the next tier. You know, so I have him. I have him projected as let's see where I put him midday three. So I'm looking at like a fifth round pick here, a guy that's going to make a roster. He'll be a backup somewhere and he'll have to develop some of his weaknesses. And, you know, I don't think by no means do I consider him 
like a non-factor. You know, I just don't really see him as a starter at, at the next level. The and correct me if I'm wrong, I might have missed this, but has he has he ran or tested since I know he didn't run at the combine, which you know, for a guy like you're talking about, right? We know he's not a blocker. You want to show your level of athleticism and make that your calling card. And I haven't, I haven't seen it unless I miss a, a pro day. I, I haven't been able to stay on top of everyone, especially the smaller school ones. Yeah. But I have a little. You have anything? I, I have a little database here. Uh, bah, 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 bah. where is he? Yeah, he ran a, he ran a four eight. Yeah, so, so that's, that's not. On the slow, yeah, that's on the slower side. side when you're talking about his calling card supposed to be. His athleticism, exactly. right? And, and listen, all and the four times you take him with a grain of salt, but even more important than that, the shuttle and three cone were were pretty bottom tier. Uh, four, five, seven shuttle, three, seven, three, nine, three cone. Again, I personally, I don't get married to the numbers. Um, a lot of that stuff can be coached, you know. And and some of these guys, it's funny how big of a thing this has become now. Um, it kind of bothers me to a point even where it's just so coached now where these guys don't even play football for three months. They're just training these drills. so They can get a 10th of a second faster. So I don't put too much weight into it, but it is part of my sheet. You know, it's, it's on, it's, it's a part of the process. And, you know, you're looking at a guy that's not that big. He's not that fast. He's not that strong. (laughs) You know, it's like, where, where do you see the upside with him other than the fact that he was productive? And I do think there is production does mean something, but, I, I just don't see the the real upside of, of being an actual NFL star. Starting at tight end in the NFL is tough. It is a tough job. And there's just not a lot of those jobs in the NFL. And I can't really see him coming in and taking it from anybody. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of people thought he was more athletic. And I mean that's maybe why he didn't run at the combine. Like maybe he knew what he was gonna run. I think the yep. narrative that was out there, whether you want to call it draft Twitter or even major market, you know, because likely was a guy that was on a lot of like big NFL draft coverage, top three, yep. top five tight end lists when, when you know, heading into the combine. It's, yep. He was kind of portrayed as this athletic pass catching tight end. And like you just said, like, if you can do the blocking stuff, well, then you better have the athleticism of an Evan Ingram who, who right. you know, had an elite 40 time for a tight end. Right. You right. know, like, yep. but that's not what likely is. He's not even in that same ballpark. So then you really right. start to say, okay, like he's not even running faster than, you know, you know, even if we just say Trey McBride, like who, if if the conversation before the combine happened, somebody might have who just kind of got into the draft coverage from what they were reading might have heard, might have thought likely was going to run a four five five or four six, and McBride yep. might have been the guy running a four eight or four eight five or something like that, and yep. and that obviously isn't what happened. So I think I think likely now it's you know probably like we said out of the top one hundred, Jelani Woods probably is the guy who's going to replace him, right in yep. that momentum. Uh, yep. let's get this past, past the top 100 guys. Is there yep. a handful of other guys that maybe you're intrigued with? I'll kind of open the floor because I don't really, I don't really think there's like clear cut, like, you know, like the kid from Maryland, who's very much, you have to have a specialized role for, or Jake Ferguson, Cole Turner, the surprise yep. of what Daniel Bellinger in terms of his athletic testing, you know, yeah. before like, he was a really good blocking tight end maybe he's the next yep. guy after record in some people's opinions but then yep. he showed this untapped upside in terms of athleticism do you think it was just training for it or is there more behind the scenes or anybody else maybe uh that that you're intrigued with 
Yeah, I mean, Bellinger is a good place to start there. Definitely, I have a, a day three grade on him. He's kind of he's right below likely, so he's kind of in that tier, fifth round tier. Um, tested better than I thought he did. I did notice him on tape a few times. When I was, started watching the San Diego State tape, I wasn't looking for him initially, and he stood out. So I started looking him up. I'm like, all right, this guy's a dude, and he got the NFL body. Um, I actually think he, he he's leaving a little bit in the tank as a blocker right now. His lower body just looks a little weak, doesn't have an anchor, doesn't stick to guys. Um, but they, again, the effort's there, and he does well at the second level. Um, so you know he's got something in him. I just think it's going to be a little bit more time for him to come into the NFL and block you know, pro DNs and, and pro outside linebackers. Um, there's a kid from Oregon State that I'm intrigued by, former basketball player, Tegan Kutariano. I hope I'm saying it right. I always get nervous. Um, his, look, his last name is spelled Quit Oriano, so Kutariano. Um, great size, great body. Reminds me of Kevin Boss a little bit and that he just he, he's got quick feet. He's got long strides. He moves better than you would think he moves, uh, but he doesn't block as well as you think. You look at his size and you think he's a mauler. And but I, I so I think he's got a lot to learn there. His hand placement is pretty poor, um, but he's got good bend in his ankles and his knees. He's got some mass to him. I think he's 255, 6'5, 255. And he's got the he's got the same body and same playing style as some of these guys in the top six. He's just a kind of like a notch below them when it comes to the skill set. But he was a big time basketball player in high school. And sometimes you love hearing that with these big tight ends, these guys that can really you know, box guys out, they have quick feet, they change direction, they play with that sudden urgency um, as a route runner and as a pass catcher. Um, another interesting guy, let's see, James Mitchell, Virginia Tech, uh, he had an injury, I think only three games into the year. So you really have to go back and look at his 2020 tape. You have a couple games from 2021. Um, again, not the biggest guy, um, might need to be more of like a H-back um, either like an H-back or a motion tight end, but I thought he was an outstanding blocker, just plays really stout, really powerful. And if you really look at his game, he made a lot of big plays in the Virginia Tech passing game, um, made some unre some ridiculous catches, one-handed catches up the seam. And he just, he does this on a, on a pretty often basis. And you're saying, all right, this is not just a fluke play here and there. So I like his balance of his game. One sleeper I think you guys could maybe just keep an eye out for, he will not be a factor early on. Armani Rogers from Ohio University. Um, he was a quarterback. Um, I believe he was, yeah, he was a quarterback, transferred to Ohio, played a, a quarter, like kind of like a backup quarterback role. So he wasn't even the starting quarterback. He was like their running quarterback, like kind of like their cheap version of Cam Newton. And he didn't move to tight end until the Shrine game this year. And so he had never played that position before. And he come down, he, he was opening eyes as a route runner, as a pass catcher. And he still, you could clearly say he had no idea what he was doing. I think he only weighed in at around 228 pounds. So he's going to be a guy that needs to get in the weight room for at least a year or two. He's a guy like you draft and stash him, right? You just stash him on the practice squad for a year, try to get as much meat on his bones, get him to learn the skill set of blocking and receiving. But he's a, he's a really good athlete, long strider that, can probably play to a four six type speed. And again, what what's really drawn me to him is, is that he went to the shrine, the practices, and just, I mean, he has some some of the best tape from that those practices as a route runner. And to say that he's never done it before, you have to think that the margin for improvement from here is is a lot bigger than most of these guys that you would get on day three at the tight end position. Yeah, some really some really good names there. Some under the, uh, under the radar guys there for sure. Uh, one last tight end I want to bring up, and then we'll transition to some defensive guys, is 
A lot of people might be listening to you and be surprised that a guy who was well-recognized in the summer and clearly is failing the pre-draft process is Jalen Weidemeyer, yeah. who now yeah. might be lucky to be drafted. Uh, yeah. Just some thoughts on him for maybe people who had heard about him a lot and then are yep. wondering why he's no longer basically in the picture. Yeah, I mean, no no question. When I make my uh, preseason sack, I start making my preseason sacks July, August. They're really not that important. It's just kind of give me a feel for who I'm going to be looking for initially. But again, I don't really – I mean, there's guys I had top five at different positions that, you know, I have undrafted grades on right now because I don't really do a ton of scouting heading into the season. I do what I can. But I'm only – with that, I'm kind of only a one-man one man role. And Wardemeyer is a guy that was top three – in this tight end group entering the, uh, entering the, the season. And the reason was his size, what he looked like on tape and the amount of production he had. I mean, they, they ran a route at Texas A&M when they, he was in the red zone, when they were in the red zone and he was, he wasn't beatable. And he was just so dominant and reaching over guys, getting open, um, swallowing the ball on contact. So he kind of came into that year, like, all right, let's see what he's got. Let's really take a closer look at his game. And the first thing I saw in September was just really poor effort as a blocker. Seemed very disinterested and even just putting his hands on guys. Um, I saw him throwing up his hands in after running around for not getting the ball, which I hate to see. And then I see him just kind of like lollygagging through his routes. And if you're not going to be a quick, sudden mover like a receiver, you have to be really precise with your footwork and how quickly you get your head around as, as, as a route runner. He didn't do any of that. And then you start throwing in the fact that he was dropping balls left and right. So I went into the pre-draft process, basically just on his tape alone, saying fifth round, best case scenario. I was like, yeah, you know, maybe if he starts tearing up the combine, maybe you bump him up a little bit. He went in the complete opposite direction. Uh, he, he ran a five plus 40. The jumps were bottom 5%. <clears throat> All these numbers are are enough for some teams to cross the him off their draft board altogether. You have to think there's some sort of motivation issue. I don't like telling others that someone has a motivation issue if I, unless I have hard facts on it. I don't have any hard facts on him. But looking at his body language, looking at his body at the combine, looking at his body at the, at the pro day, it's pretty clear to me that the guy just doesn't work. You know, he's got a lot of like just loose meat on his bones and – you know, when you combine that with the poor tape and then you combine that with the, the deepness of this tight end group, why would you take a chance on him unless it's round seven? So, I mean, the, the time, just to put it in perspective, he was a five plus on his 40. I'm pretty, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. In the past 20 years, there's been two tight ends drafted with a five plus 40, and they were, they were drafted to block, and they were both seventh round picks. So I, I think all the cards are going to be going against him. If someone really wants to look at tape from two years ago and draft him based on that, again, that's where the background information comes in as a scout. And you really have to be sure that, I mean, why waste a pick on him? That's, that's my question. So he was a really, probably one of the more interesting pre-draft process falls that we've seen um, in the class. Yeah, and, and you make the case right there. Like, the 40 times aren't the be-end-end-all. The testing isn't the be-end-end-all. You know, here at Saturday Sunday, we're all about the film and the traits, too. But but there are things, yep. like, you see that. Like, you know, you go back a couple of years ago, right? There were a lot of people on draft Twitter who were high on Elijah Holyfield coming out of Georgia. And then mm -hmm. you run the 4-7-8, and I know 40 times for running backs aren't the be-end-end-all. But when you look around the league, and nobody's in the league really producing with that time, 
it, it does say something, right? And, yeah. you know, and, yep. and not to the level of that, and he improved it, you know, but there's going to be some questions about Kyron Williams and, and how NFL yeah. teams are comfortable drafting him based on his size. He's not a big yeah. guy. He's a small guy. And, yeah. you know, and they're not going to be happy with that number. So, you know, yep. that's, that's a whole nother, you know, rabbit hole we can go down about that yeah. and stuff. But yeah. uh, let's transition to the defensive side because we don't get a chance too often here it's Saturday, Sunday to talk to yep. defensive guys. So I have you here. Let's start right at the top with, with I think the edge rushers is maybe the premier class, uh, premier positional group from the defensive side. You know, I, I, I've been studying guys, and, and I think there's going to be really impactful players round two, round three at the edge position. Some might even, you know, slip through the cracks and, and make it to the early part of day three. But yep. why don't we why don't we start right at the top and maybe some quick hitting thoughts on, uh, you know, obviously Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, and, and what you think about him. Again, he's all projection, more talking yeah. edge rusher, uh, and then Jermaine Johnson. I think those are the four that are kind of be kind of in yeah. the mix, probably to go in the top ten ish area. Do you do you yep. kind of agree with that? And and if so, maybe just yeah. talk us through a couple of those guys. Yeah, those are the four guys. I have Carl Loftus as another first round grade, but I I, I agree. I projecting him to probably be more top twenty five than than top ten. The other four that you named: Walker, Hutchinson, Thibodeau, and Johnson. Um, those are the guys that you project to be in the top 10. If, if, you know, my, one of them might slip through the craps, uh, cracks, but, um, I have Walker number one, to be honest with you. Um, and it's not just the, the measurements, the, the workouts. I, I I'm huge on a defense. The way a defense stops offense in today's NFL is you have to keep the offense guessing. You have to have no idea what all 11 guys are doing. And when I watch Walker play this dude, you can line him up anywhere. Um, I think he covers better than some of the linebackers. The guy's 275 pounds. He can cover better than some of the linebackers. But, again, that's not why you're going to draft him. But I'm kind of going into how versatile this kid can be. He's probably the meanest, most physical, most powerful guy in this entire group. He's faster than all of them. He's bigger than all of them. He played more positions than all of them. And I think that sometimes that one of the drawbacks that you hear, one of the negatives that you hear on him that bothers me a little bit is the production – and I think you need to look a little deeper when it comes to production. You can't only look at sacks, tackles for loss, and tackles. And you got to look at how often they were rushing, uh, how often they were absorbing double teams, how often they were putting pressure on the quarterback, how many times they hit the quarterback. And when you look at those numbers, Walker's up there with those guys. And you watch him defend the run. I think he's the best run defender of the group by a wide margin. And you can't forget about that. You know, you, unless you're Miles Garrett, you know. And none of these guys are. I don't have any of them in that Miles Garrett tier. Uh, he's still the, the best defensive end I've ever scouted. Um, better, better than Chase Young. Um, I think that Walker is the one guy that can do everything at a really high level. Um, Hutchinson is right below him. I like him a lot. Thibodeau, I think when he really wants to play and he's really kind of getting after it, I think he's, he's just as talented as the guys above him. Johnson, he's a little bit more gritty. You know, and which is not a bad thing. I just think some of his bend issues can, can pop up, and his lack of creativity can pop up against a quality pass uh, pass blocking tackle. But again, like I said, I'm still projecting the guys to be top ten picks. Um, so I just think Walker is the most versatile, and I think he's got the highest physical upside. I don't think that's even worth trying to argue the the physical upside. Um, there's no one like him in his class when when it comes to that. Hutchinson is the most productive. I think he's the best hands fighter. Um, and he can be moved around the defensive line as well. Um, he's, he occasionally will get caught up with some bend issues. He's just a really tall dude, 
high waist, uh, high hipped. Um, Thibodeau, you know, there is a lot of talk right now, but his effort, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into it because there's, you know, I, I always get attacked by guys that are want to defend him. I don't think there's anything wrong with his character. The guy loves his brand. That's pretty clear. Um, he has plans beyond football. That's pretty clear. That's all good with me. You know, um, that the issue I have with him, he, he, he doesn't have a lot of creativity as a pass rusher. Um, he, he's a, basically he's got outstanding get off. He might have the best get off out of this entire group. And that alone could beat some guys. But when I saw him matched up against pro caliber tackles, he didn't play that well. And he got shut down. And it seems like when he got shut down a little bit, he saw, he, he gave up. He didn't fight. When you watch Walker Hutchinson and Jermaine Johnson, right? When you watch those three guys play football, they love football. They want to fight you. They want to go kill the guy with the football. And if they lose initially, which happens a lot as a pass rusher, Aaron Donald, he loses initially a lot. They will fight and fight and fight until they get through. Thibodeau, I didn't see him do that a lot. And that's what concerns me about him. Yeah, I think you make great points there because I was listening to uh, the great Greg Cosell today talking about Kayvon Thibodeau, and he was he was sharing some of those same concerns about flattening his pass rush and not showing enough bend around the edge. Good first get off, but not a lot of tricks that and tools to go mm-hmm. to. And he actually says in a couple of years he wouldn't be surprised if Jermaine Johnson ends up being the best pass rusher from this class. He's not his number one guy, but just that he's not that far off those other guys. And I, I think I, I love the fact that you have Trayvon Walker at one because. I think that could still be the curveball of the draft. Like I, I, we're three weeks away, and if the Jaguars make him the first pick in the draft, or the Lions make him the second pick in the draft, I'm not going to be surprised. I don't think the Giants are even going to have a shot at him at five. I'd be stunned if he's there at five right now. I, I agree. Don't think- I mean, I, I put that out in the open right now. If he, if he's, um, if he's available at number five, there, I'm not even considering anyone else. Um, there's, there's no question there. Um, even though I know the Giants need linemen, they'll have someone there at seven. There's, I don't have any doubt about that. One of the top three guys. Um, but I think Walker's going one, two, or three. And just knowing what I know about the front offices, especially in Detroit and Houston, I think Trayvon Walker's the dream prospect for both of those guys, both those those front offices. The guys I know that are in there and just doing some studies on what they've done in the past, I think there's no question he's going two or three if Jacksonville doesn't take him. Yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, why don't we take this? Yeah. To, we just talking edge rushers. Why don't we go the off the ball linebackers? This Bria kind of want to hear your take on. Uh, obviously, yeah. the two that have been most talked about for round one have been David Lloyd and Nicobe Dean. But Quay Walker from Georgia has been rising up boards. It sounds like, and you know, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks were saying that if a team takes him over Nicobe Dean, they don't think it would be crazy. Uh, where do you kind of stand on the Georgia linebackers? Do you, do you clearly prefer Dean? Do you, do you think Walker's right there in the mix, different size players? And then uh, Devin Lloyd is a really interesting one because there was like a lot of top 10 buzz pre-combine. And then he had a good combine, but I think people were expecting maybe a little bit quicker and stuff. And now the buzz has kind of subsided a little bit, but I think he might be the most versatile in terms of yeah. pass rush, coverage, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So maybe talk us through yep. those guys. Yeah. I mean, Dean, I can give you just like things that you're pumped up about with these guys and things that you're a little concerned with. Dean is obviously the size. You just don't see linebackers that measure under six feet get drafted high. You just don't. I mean, uh, it did happen with Devin Bush a couple of years ago in Pittsburgh. And some people like to use that as a reason why Dean should get drafted. 
I would try to stay away from that because that pick is looking like it was not a good one for Pittsburgh. He had a great solid rookie year towards ACL, and last year he was he was terrible. I mean, some of the Pittsburgh nation was was already calling him a bust. You know, I think he deserves another year, and I like Bush coming out. Um, but Dean kind of measures in in that really dangerous tier of it's hard to play linebacker when when you're under six feet tall, especially if you're an inside guy. Um, his speed can make up for things, kind of the way Roquan Smith. He reminds me a lot of Jonathan Vilma on tape. Um, just someone that will play a little bit bigger. He gets to where he needs to be. <clears throat> His first step is better than most linebackers. That's a huge deal for that position. But I would be concerned. I have him as a first rounder, but I do not have him as a top 10 guy. I don't even think I have him as a top 15. Um, so I just be, would be a little concerned there. I would want a specific scheme for him too. Um, one that does not have him meet block uh, offensive linemen often. You know, that's one thing. If you look at the Georgia defense, you could probably count on one hand how many times an offensive lineman got a clean look at him. But that defensive line there, I mean, those guys just ate up so much space and so many blockers that I don't want to say it was easy to play there, but I think some of his weaknesses don't get shown in that kind of situation that will show up in the NFL. Devin Lloyd, I have him kind of similar grade um, as Dean. I do have him a notch below. Um, what makes... You know, everyone will point to his production, right? Watch the tape. They blitzed him more often than not. And that's why you see a lot of that production behind the line of scrimmage. Now, you can make you can make a case that that makes him more versatile. Sure. You could also say that inflated his stats, right? We talked about Isaiah Likely and his production. And we said, well, a lot of the production was manufactured for him. I think, I think the same way about Lloyd. Now, the guy's still a first-round prospect. He's got enough size. He's got enough speed. He's very smart in coverage. He's a guy that will never have to come off the field. Good kid, smart kid, leader of the group type. But I do think there, there's some stuff going on with his lower body that bothers me, just in terms of how much power he can generate from down there. And I would be nervous about him with blockers as well. Um, Quay Walker, I think he's the alpha of the group. And when I say the group, I'm not talking about the Georgia defense. I'm talking about the linebacker group in this class. He is the guy that you do not want to meet in an alley. Or if you're going to get into a fight, he's the one you want in your corner. And I know there's a lot more to playing linebacker than that. But I think that inside linebacker position, Ray Lewis type, when you have a guy that is can truly intimidate other grown men, that's what Walker is. Now, he's not as vocal. Um, the Georgia coaches often, uh, often talked about him as the silent assassin where he doesn't talk much. He just punches you in the mouth. And I think that's who Walker is. When you look at tools, size, speed, length, the ability to move in and out of breaks, Walker's the best one. And I, and I think that if you ask me right now, <clears throat> if all three of these guys reach their true upside, their physical upside, Walker's the best one. Now, I don't have him graded above the other two just because of where he is. Some He doesn't see things that early. That's one thing that concerns me about Walker. But that can be developed, and that also can be hidden in the NFL in the right scheme. And I think he's a scary good pass rusher, too. You know, I don't think he got enough publicity and didn't get enough looks as a pass rusher at Georgia. Would he be a guy that you'd be intrigued with for the Giants? Stop it a second. 100%, yeah. Because he's a guy. He's a guy that there hasn't been a lot of linebacker Giants talk connection. Yeah. But he'd be a guy that, let's be honest, Blake Martinez has got one more year here. Trey Crowder, Tay Crowder is probably a backup. Giants they don't have much there. And when Marndell are... likes the blitz, you're just talking about his blitzing yes. skills. I'd be very intrigued with Quay Walker, top of the second, as a Giants fan. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, there's another guy, Leo Chanel from Wisconsin, who he's kind of a bit of a unicorn physically, just how big he is, how fast he is. But 
Walker, he's a little bit more nimble. He's quicker, and I think his upside is a little bit more. But there are the Giants are going linebacker in this draft. Um, I, I think with one of their first five picks, because like you said, I think the Giants draft is going to be very much about this time next year. And you have to assume Martinez will probably be out. Um, and who's the Tay Crowder? I mean, he got a shot and, you know, made a lot of tackles, but he also made a lot of mistakes. And I think you'll get another shot this year, but I think you have to go into this to the, this season, assuming that the linebackers that are on the field right now are not going to be the ones that are on the field next year. So if you can get a Quay Walker, I haven't graded as a first round pick. If you get him in second round, that's there are very few guys that I project to be available at that point that I would take above Quay Walker. Very few. Yeah, I'm right there with you. He'd be very intriguing. Uh, before we before we round out with the, the secondary guys, real quick in terms of the defensive tackle guys, the two Georgia guys, Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, obviously two <laughs> of the guys who put on the clinic at the combine, especially Jordan Davis. Yeah. Uh, do you do you think they weren't going round one with the questions on what they could do? How how you know how much pressure can they create? Like is it yeah. worth it? You know what's your take kind of like on those two guys because they're kind of like the definition of like the modern day NFL, right? Is a, is a defensive tackle you know worth it if he doesn't generate a lot of pressure? But he's a really good run blocker and maybe he's got some untapped upside. Maybe that's Jordan Davis. Maybe that's Devontae Wyatt, and they just weren't asked to do it too often at Georgia. These two guys are the two guys that seem to be on most people's top boards in terms of the defensive tackle. Are they your two the top defensive tackles? And then maybe talk about them a little bit. They are. Uh, Davis and Wyatt are one and one and two. Um, same grades, too. So you can say 1A, 1B for either one of them, whatever. Um, I think only, especially when it comes to Davis, only a specific team should be going for him. And it's a team that already has a really good defense and or a very good pass rush, but they need a guy in there that can – do what he did at Georgia, eat up blockers, eat up, keep the linebackers running free. I don't think he's the kind of guy that a team that is trying to rebuild that it's really worth using a high pick on because yes, did not make a big impact against the passing game, but there's something bigger than that. That draws me. He never played half the snaps at Georgia. He actually played close to 40% of the snaps over the past two years. Okay, so let's look at the all-pro defensive tackles from last year. I just made a tweet about this, okay? Last year, Aaron Donald, 90% of the snaps. Cam Hayward, 82%. Jeffrey Simmons, 85%. Chris Jones, 68%. He was the lowest one. Now, do you need to only use that as a gauge for whether or not Jordan Davis plays enough? No, but Jordan Davis wasn't even within a mile of those guys when it comes to how often he's on the field. And one thing that concerns me about that is when you watch Georgia tape, he's a guy that with his hands on his hips a lot, gets taken off the field a lot. And he goes up and shows the combine. All of a sudden he looks, you know, 20 pounds lighter and he's blowing up the combine up. Did he train for the combine? Why doesn't he train like that during the year? You know, I mean, it's hard to project without being in the Georgia room because they had so much defensive line talent. It would be smart. It's always smart to rotate guys. But you have to ask yourself, is he capable of being on the field for, I mean, half the plays is a minimum. And I would say you got to be on the field for two-thirds, you know, 66%. And right now he's showing that he can't even be close to that. So that that's – that. If, if you have – if you're really trying to draft him to kind of build a defense around him, he's got to be around more. And unless you have a defensive line that's loaded, you know, like I could see a team – you know, off the top of my head, I don't want to. I don't want to forget anyone, but a, a team like uh, 
like there's been a lot of connections with the Chargers and and yeah and, the Chargers and Davis they they have that defense like they have Bosa they have Mac right they could use a first round pick on a guy that's going to be on the field for forty percent of the snaps because he'll make the defense better but you're not building the defense around him right and that's where I think some of these poor teams like in the top ten don't do it you know. And I, I think Wyatt has a bit more physical ability when it comes to being able to rush the passer. Actually reminds me a little bit of Dalvin Tomlinson, a little bit better, actually, better athlete. Um, <clears throat> but I, I just think that those those two guys, they're end of first round prospects to me. They're they're not top ten. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I, I think they're guys listen, Dave Gettleman's on the league anymore. So Jordan Davis probably lost his chance to get yeah. on the top yeah. ten or top fifteen. Yeah. Uh once right. Gettleman uh walked away. Yeah. Uh but yeah, listen, I agree with you in terms of the percentage of snaps. Like it's hard to make an investment in round one, you know, for a guy who's only gonna play maybe forty, fifty percent. And it, and to be honest with you, we, we won't get into him, but I think I'm very intrigued by Travis Jones at the top of the second round or maybe yeah. even late round one. I don't think there's Much a better big gap between the Georgia guys and a guy like Jones. And he might even have some, you know, untapped upside, you know, that if he played at a different place, you know, that we'd be, we'd be talking about him even more. Much so better. let's turn to the secondary a little bit. Let's start with the safeties because there's been so much talk about Kyle Hamilton. Does he weren't going top 10? The, the 40 time, like – seemed to disappoint a lot of people. And then the pro day he ran again and it was even worse. Like uh, thoughts on Kyle Hamilton. And then do you think, do you have graded any other safeties to go in round one? Or is it a bunch of guys then in a close group, maybe at the top of the second? It sounds like Dax Hill is getting a lot of momentum as a guy who could really play the deep and also be a nickel guy if you need him yep. to. And versatility yep. could really be pushing him up boards. Uh, thoughts on Hamilton and any other guys maybe that you have a round one grade on, or are they all more than round two? Yeah. I mean, Kyle Hamilton is definitely a first rounder um, heading into the year. Um, our lads, the, the guys that I work with, we all voted him consensus number one player in the prospective draft for 2022. Um, here we are months later. I don't have him up there. I have him as a first rounder. I do not have, I think I'll probably have him around between 10 and 14 overall. Um, but the thing that excites me and scares me about Hamilton is it's actually the same thing. All right. There's no safety in the league like him right now. And you can view that as a bad thing. And can you, you can view that as a good thing. And the reason why, like, I think I touched on this earlier, I like to have a prospect. And after watching him, I want to see someone that I've seen in the NFL. kind of reminds me a little bit. I don't see that with Hamilton. And I think that the speed stuff is being a little overblown. Um, I don't think he's the quickest accelerator. He has a very high-hipped build. So I think that's part of the issue why you're not really going to see him time well. But when you watch him make some of these plays that he's made in deep coverage, the guy moves. You know, you can't call him slow. He he can I, I think the, the longer a play goes or the more space he gets into, that becomes less and less of an issue. Um, but I think one thing that doesn't get talked about enough, he's enormous. I mean the guy's six four, two twenty two with outstanding length. He looks like um oh man, I forget what the what that movie is called, with the with the crazy jumping, leaping ability or whatever. I don't want to go into that. But he he uh he just has a very unique body and build and he produced. And what I like about him and every NFL defense, you can see they're trying to shift at least one defensive player towards this is they need a guy that can cover the athletic tight end. Right? Like if you have someone that can really man up a Travis Kelsey, a Darren Waller, a George Kittle, 
like that that can do wonders for for Mark Andrews. That can do wonders for your defense, and that's who I think Hamilton can be. He's not going to be Ed Reed. He's not going to be Earl Thomas. He's not going to be Cam Chancellor. He's not going to be what Sean Taylor was, right? Um, I think you're going to have to create a role for him, and that, that's why I think if the wrong defense gets their hands on him, he'll earn that bus label. But if the right defense gets their hands on him and create a role for him and hide some of his issues with movement, I think he could be a stud, someone that you could build the defense around. I really do. Yeah, I, you know, he's he's an interesting guy that's going to be interesting. He still can go top five. He can go 10 or 12 or 15, like somewhere yeah. or somewhere in between there. Uh, any other guys round one grades or are they more day two? Daxon Hill. Dax Hill, I have him end of round one. Um, don't love the size, but you're not drafting him to play a traditional safety role. I think he could, he could play corner in the NFL. He, he's that kind of athlete. He's the best opposite of Hamilton. He's the best short area mover in the draft. Um, the, the, the amount of time it takes him from get to zero to 60 is, is a blink. It's two steps. And he's got great anticipation. I always look for good anticipation in safeties. And I think he's one of those guys. Like, I mean, de- defenses are in nickel and dime all the time now, right? And it'd be nice to have a safety that can go play both roles. You know, he can play the deep third. He can play the deep half. He can be the center fielder. But he also can go man and receiver up if he needs to. And that gives defense a lot of options. So I have him as an end of first round grade. And then I have a group of round two, round three guys. You have Brisker from Penn State, great athlete, great speed. Uh, Lewis Seen from Georgia, probably the most physical of the group. Um, Petre from Baylor, don't love the size, but he's so versatile. Tough as nails, flies to the football. Brian Cook from Cincinnati. And Nick Cross, guys just with like nice traditional safety bodies that play the physical game really well. Um, and then, yeah, that, that would be it for really like the day two guys. But yeah, great, great names there. Really intrigued by a couple of those guys, Seen and Petrie, the versatility that they bring. Yeah. Uh, I think teams are going to really target that on day two. Final question of the night, Sauce or Stingley, who do you prefer? And then maybe just share with us a few of the other names. You don't have to get into them that you think are warranted of going round one. I'm sure McDuffie's probably on that list or maybe some other guys. Yeah, I mean, I'm sticking with Stingley, number one. Um, you know, had a solid, not great pro day. Didn't really care. I just wanted to see that he was healthy. Um, I just think that the, the ball skills that he brings to the table, the natural ease that he has at playing all levels of the route tree, it's not something that you see very often. Um, I am concerned about the foot. I'll be the first to put it out there. Um, and he's he's simply a guy I would take a chance on, knowing that a lower body injury to a corner could be bad news. You just don't have a lot of margin for error at that position. Um, Gardner, number two, tools are just ridiculous. The, the, the level of length and speed that he has, he's a really productive career. Um, I have Elam from Florida at number three, Andrew Booth from Clemson, number four, and McDuffie, number five, really solid group of five corners that are all first round grades. McDuffie, I'm a little, I'm kind of first, second hybrid right there just because of the size. But I mean, he plays as tough as any of these guys. So I think it's not that big of an issue. And the NFL needs more quality nickels slash slot defenders. And I think that's where McDuffie is going to shine. Yeah, great names there. Uh, really, David, this was phenomenal. Anybody who, Wanted a crash course on the defensive guys. We just gave it to them. Uh, the tight end analysis. There's not a lot of podcasts out there that are doing deep dives on the tight end position. Yeah, uh, you kind of usually gets lost in the shuffle. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, uh, sharing all your insights with this. Please let my audience know where they can find you on Twitter. We already talked about what you're doing over there at Our Lads, uh, but yep. please let them know where they can find you on Twitter. And thank you so much again for joining me tonight. 
Oh, my pleasure, man. Sorry, my, my voice is starting to go. I just started fighting a cold. <laughs> Hopefully it's not coming across too bad. Um, my my Twitter is at rlads underscore psi. So rlads, O-U-R-L-A-D-S underscore psi, S-Y. Um, I'm, I'm always told that I need to be a little bit more active on Twitter. I will try to be. Um, there's just a lot about social media that I hate these days. So <laughs> I, I'm just not on it that often. But I know I, I am. I do. I'm pr- very active draft week and draft weekend. Um, like you said, I have a two-year-old, so we'll, we'll see how available I am draft weekend. I'm planning to be in front of the TV the entire draft, and I do try to make a tweet about every single draft pick, draft weekend. Um, very in tune with the league right now. Every depth chart we manage at our lads, we have the best depth charts in the business updated in real time. And um, so we really do have a good feel for what each team is doing in the draft. And that's one of the more unique things about us is that we can really give you instant analysis without having to do any of our own research. We already have it. You know, we, we know the league very well. So I'll be very active draft weekend. If you ever just want to kind of get a an original thought that isn't a talking point that some of these guys on TV say over and over, just repeating each other. Um, I'll try to give some real original content draft weekend. So that'll be at our lads underscore Cy on Twitter. Guys, make sure you're following him. I'll definitely put his handle out there when when the, the podcast drops uh, out on Twitter as well. Make sure you're following him. Make sure you're following Draft Weekend. Uh, I think me and David are the only people crazy enough to try to live tweet every single pick with some thoughts <laughs> on the guys. Yeah. Uh, but but that'll be better analysis than probably what you're getting on definitely on the mainstream TV network, especially on day three when they barely talk about the picks for sure. Yep. Uh, so, guys, make sure you're following David. Make sure you're following all his work. Uh, and checking out everything that he is doing. So, on behalf of David, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.